Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. I hope you guys all had a really great Christmas and we're going to start this year, well, we're going to start this year with um, an examination of the early years of the Cold War from an American perspective, looking at the transition between uh, Roosevelt uh, to Truman and the diplomats that surrounded both men. Um, Today I'm going to be looking at uh, James Patterson's Grand Expectations. You know, it's the uh, the kind of the very standard guide that I've been reading for some time on post-war America. Um, and here he writes about um, Roosevelt and Roosevelt's relationship with Stalin. Now, this is a relationship that perplexed many of Roosevelt's uh, top diplomats. Um, they saw Roosevelt as being um, either too lenient with Stalin or kind of in some ways hopelessly complacent around him. It was pointed out by Anthony Eden, uh, a British Foreign Secretary and later uh, Prime Minister, who um, had many dealings with Roosevelt when he and Churchill went back and forth to Washington. Um, he said that um, uh, Roosevelt was very educated when it came to history and to geography, uh, but he had he drew superficial conclusions from both. Eden said that the uh, conclusions that were drawn by Roosevelt were alarming in their cheerful fecklessness. He seemed uh, uh, to see himself disposing of the fate uh, of many lands, allied no less than enemy. He did this with so much grace that it was not easy uh, to dissent. Yet it was too like a ch- um, like a conjurer, skillfully juggling with balls of dynamite, whose nature he failed to understand. And there was, in, in many ways, this kind of uh, flippancy, this uh, kind of um, cheerful fecklessness, as he even puts it, uh, about Roosevelt. Roosevelt uh, could be highly astute and incisive, 
but he could also be um, a kind of a, a quite a laissez-faire figure. The idea that, it, that some problems would resolve themselves if left alone. Um, there were the criticisms of Roosevelt um, really stem from the credulity with which he um, treated uh, the USSR. The uh, I, I think I discussed in a podcast a, a year ago, maybe two years ago now, about how in about about 1944 there's these sea changing attitudes towards the USSR. There had been some degree, perhaps this wasn't even a mainstream view, but there was a, a significant number of people in America who had admired the resilience of the Soviet um, Red Army during the war um, and who had looked upon uh, Stalin as, whilst being um, a dictator, uh, the lesser of two evils when it came to, to Hitler. But by um, 1944, there seemed to be this sea change in attitudes. Perhaps it's because there was a widespread awareness that the Second World War was coming to an end and that Hitler would soon be defeated, uh, along with the imperial uh, Japan. Uh, but Roosevelt didn't seem to share the, these views. For what it's worth, it, it seems as if Stalin had a degree of uh, admiration for Roosevelt, combined with a, uh, a kind of a, a personal affection for him. Um, Stalin, uh, a calculating individual, obviously, uh, formed personal bonds very much based on what they would bring him, uh, particularly after the uh, death of his wife, he was uh, became ever kind of colder and a more remote figure. But when it came to Roosevelt, perhaps he saw in Roosevelt uh, an opposite number uh, with whom some kind of measure of reasonable cooperation in the running of the world after the war would be possible. He seemed to have been genuinely um, perhaps not upset, but genuinely uh, bothered uh, by the fact that Roosevelt had, had passed away. For his part, uh, Roosevelt spoke well of uh, Stalin. Um, after the Tehran conference, of which there was a kind of a popular film made um, for the uh, American movie theatres, he said, I got along fine with Marshal Stalin. I believe he is truly representative of the heart and soul of Russia. And I believe that we are going to get along very well with him and the Russian people very well indeed. Um, a year later, he said, um, when it came to the uh, anxieties of a, uh, a post-war uh, Soviet Union, um, he said that um, I, don't, I personally don't think there's anything in it, uh, the idea that there would be a war with the Soviet Union. Um, they've got a, a large enough hunk of bread um, right in Russia to keep them very busy for a great many years uh, to come without taking any more headaches, uh, taking on any more headaches. So there was uh, a belief by Roosevelt that the Soviet Union would not be an expansionist power after the war because the territory of the Soviet Union was large enough and that the devastation wrought on the Soviet Union by the Nazis would give the uh, Soviet Union many, many years uh, of uh, hard work to, uh, to repair. Um, the American view of the Soviets um, were 
uh, as mentioned previously, there was a, a lot of admiration for their resilience. However, uh, because there was this admiration for, the resi- for their uh, resilience and their fighting spirit, it did not necessarily translate into uh, admiration for their leadership. The war presented uh, dilemmas for liberals. Um, there was no doubt that Stalin was a bloodthirsty dictator, uh, and yet the calculation that many on the uh, the liberal end of American politics made, and those on perhaps on conservative ends as well, um, was that um, any dictator was better than Hitler, and that uh, working together was there was no uh, alternative to working together with the Soviet Union. Um, the journalist Max Lerner, for example, wrote in 1943. The war cannot be won unless America and Russia win it together. Uh, the peace cannot be organised unless America and Russian, Russia organise it together. And in this, uh, he was right. Um, the post-war world that Roosevelt um, envisaged, he never got round to creating a Roosevelt doctrine, but the, the map of the post-war world that he envisaged was one uh, with uh, four policemen. He thought uh, the Soviet Union, the United States, China and Britain would carve up the world into rival spheres of influence uh, and be responsible for those. And in those, and because there were, um, there was a multipolar world, one power stepping out of line would be checked by the other three. However, uh, because Britain was bankrupted by the end of the war and China was uh, in the midst of a civil war, this multipolar world doesn't emerge, instead a bipolar world does, which is far less stable, um, one where the USSR was in eternal face-off with the, the USA. The trick that Roosevelt pulled, perhaps even on himself, was to see Stalin as a depoliticised figure, as one who was not so much uh, an ideologue, as a uh, a national um, leader looking to secure his country's borders, and that this way he felt that uh, Stalin could be dealt with in a rational manner, uh, and that incentives and threats uh, would work in in the the standard manner. So um, when Roosevelt died in 1945, It didn't necessarily mean that there would be, from that point onwards, a decline in relations with um, the Soviet Union by dint of uh, of Roosevelt's uh, Roosevelt's death. The mounting uh, tensions between East and West and the the problems of uh, ending the war um, created uh, the kinds of uh, Cold War uh, circumstances that transcended really the uh, the influence of any, any one individual, no matter how uh, mercurial and how uh, charming or diplomatic uh, they could be. The uh, American people were in some ways um, deceived by Roosevelt. Roosevelt presented to them uh, a more uh, optimistic view of uh, American-Soviet relations than than actually really uh, existed. He confused, uh, I'll read actually here from James Patterson, moreover in his foreign policies, FDR often acted deviously, confusing not only the American people, but also advisers who tried to apprehend 
his thinking. His neglect of Truman in early 1945, one of his great failings, compounded the difficulties that arose later in that year. He told him virtually nothing about his thinking and kept him totally in the dark about the bomb. Roosevelt also misled the American people, largely hiding from them the growing strains in Soviet-American relations to alarmed Averill Harriman and others in early 1945. Harriman, who we're going to come to shortly. Um, nowhere is this more clear than his glowing public report in February 1945 on the Yalta Conference. The Allied leaders um, there could not agree on many matters, including post-war arrangements for Germany. They postponed decisions and awaited further developments. The Declaration on Liberated Europe, they recognised, with hardly a ringing endorsement of democracy. It committed the powers only to consult on ways to help democracy develop among liberated people. Admiral William Leahy, a key military advisor, complained to FDR that the Declaration was so elastic that the Russians can stretch it all the way from Yalta to Washington without ever technically breaking it. So there you have um, uh, the, the real um, diplomat in, in Roosevelt, um, one who sought to placate competing wants and wishes by creating really um, mirages. So he was succeeded by Harry Truman, seen by many as a hard-headed realist who, uh, I think I talked about this on the podcast a few years ago, um, was willing to um, take Molotov to task when Molotov visited the White House in 1945 um, and say essentially that uh, the Soviet uh, annexation uh, of Poland or Soviet occupation of Poland was completely unacceptable. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The problem here is that hard-headed though he may have been, he had only actually left America twice. In uh, 1918 with his limited war service in Europe uh, and then went to South America in 1938. And his understanding of world affairs was very, very limited, uh, minimal indeed. 
This meant that Truman was heavily dependent on the uh, advice of others. Um, he was a hugely uh, ambitious and determined man, but one who had been very poorly served by his predecessor. He had been, uh, as previously mentioned, kept in the dark on, on many issues and given no uh, foreign policy uh, experience. Um, and so felt, for the first two years of his presidency, uh, was definitely on the back foot with the Soviet Union, uh, unsure precisely of what to do. Um, his reasoning, um, for example, for um, the establishment of what eventually became the CIA, was that he needed a daily bulletin of world affairs, uh, of essentially the important things happening in the world. He needed um, one central intelligence report. The fact that this became a, a, a vast and secretive government bureaucracy really tells you a lot about the early Cold War. Um, he had been uh, mainly concentrated in the 1930s on the issues, on domestic issues during the uh, Great Depression, and during the war had focused mainly on the issue of defence. Um, his um, best known uh, venture into foreign policy matters uh, had come in June 1941, uh, when, following the German invasion of the Soviet Union, he said, if we see that Germany is winning, we ought to help Russia. And if Russia is winning, we ought to help Germany. And that way, let them kill as many as possible. Although I don't want to see Hitler victorious under any circumstances. In 1945, Truman had no desire to fight the Soviet Union. Um, his comments in 1941 were possibly uh, an off-the-cuff comment that has been over-reported, or perhaps even a sincerely held view uh, that actually tells an awful lot of truth uh, about um, Truman, uh, American foreign policy, and the views of the American establishment in general. But um, in the immediate aftermath of uh, Roosevelt's death, Truman had to rely on his foreign policy uh, advisers, and he viewed these uh, advisers um, as being the inheritance from Roosevelt, people who had been kind of passed on to him. And he also believed that he had a duty to carry out um, uh, the foreign policy established by Roosevelt. Um, as having been his vice president um, and the presidential elections being three years uh, away, there uh, had to be um, consistency of policy that had been offered to the public in the 1944 presidential uh, election. Patterson writes, Truman felt especially deeply about another thing in 1945. It was his duty to carry out the foreign, pol foreign and domestic policies of his predecessor. This made sense. Vice presidents generally do this, or think that they are doing it. But following FDR's ideas in foreign policy was much easier said than done, for Truman had little idea of what those ideas were. For this reason, and because he lacked experience, he turned to top advisers for their guidance. The influence of these advisers, often called the establishment in later years, became powerful by 1946 and had extraordinary staying power that lasted well beyond the Truman administration. So, the um, cast of characters that had surrounded um, uh, Roosevelt um, were powerful figures. And I, I'm generally of the opinion 
that foreign policies are rarely ever created by one leader. Um, they're normally created by a kind of a consensus of um, of views between um, presidents, foreign ministers, uh, secretaries of state, top army officers, intelligence officers, um, and um, the secretaries of defence. That that kind of pool of, of individuals uh, that perhaps flow around the president's instincts. One of these key figures was uh, Henry Stimson um, in 1945, the Secretary of War. Um, he had been uh, War Secretary under uh, William Howard Taft and Secretary of State under Hoover. And Stimson, uh, a Republican, a former corporate lawyer, um, was brought in uh, to the gov- into government in 1940 by Roosevelt to show that there was bipartisanship, which was essential at the time, much as uh, Churchill's war cabinet contained both Liberal and, and Labour members, so too did um, Roosevelt see, uh, seek to create a kind of like a, a big tent government. It was Stimson who had first told uh, Truman uh, about the atomic bomb uh, 11 days after he became president, which was uh, quite a surprise to uh, to Truman. The other figure of uh, immense gravitas that um, Truman inherited uh, was General George Marshall, who had been Chief of Staff, uh, the Army Chief of Staff during the war. Um, he was a particularly reserved uh, conservative with a small C uh, type who had been there to kind of guide and uh, influence uh, and shape military policy and strategic policy uh, at Roosevelt's side uh, throughout the war. Uh, Often it's written about um, uh, Churchill, that his um, chief of staff, uh, uh, chief of the Imperial General Staff, uh, Sir Alan Brooke, um, was there to prevent Winston from doing things, uh, particularly ill-advised things. Marshall never quite had that problem, but he he was a very dominant figure in Roosevelt's war cabinet, and Roosevelt listened to him, um, and particularly um, because of his his track record in actually uh, creating um, the circumstances for victory uh, during the war. He was hugely admired by uh, younger officers, um, and particularly um, the uh, generals who served under him during the war, the likes of Eisenhower, uh, Clark and Patton. Um, not so much uh, MacArthur, but uh, Douglas MacArthur was really kind of on his own uh, wild, egoic journey throughout the war. One of the key figures of influence in the Democrat Party and also in Truman's government was Avril Harriman. Uh, Avril Harriman had been uh, the uh, Roosevelt's special envoy to London he had then been the um, ambassador to the Soviet Union until my- March 1946. And along with George Kennan, both transmitted back to um, uh, Truman dire predictions uh, about the future of uh, relations with the Soviet Union. 
Um, Harriman was uh, an influential figure within um, Democrat politics as both the governor of New York, who had, had succeeded um, Roosevelt um, uh, later, well, he was one of the successors to Roosevelt, um, and was possibly the presidential uh, nominee for 1956. Um, but he was like Roosevelt from Old Money, the son of um, Edward Henry Harriman, the uh, railway magnate, um, and like Roosevelt, uh, went to Groton School uh, and Yale, um, a, a kind of a rather uh, charismatic and in the most dashing figure uh, during the war. Um, but one who was able to uh, deal with uh, very various figures such as um, Churchill uh, uh, and Stalin. Um, he had little expertise in 1943 when he um, went to the Soviet Union um, and is argued didn't ever require very very much uh, understanding. Um, but he wasn't really there um, to analyse and to dissect the Soviet Union he was there to get along with Stalin. He was there to be the bridge between Stalin and Roosevelt, a friendly, cooperative face. And this is certainly what he was able to be. Um, by 1944, he had convinced himself uh, quite, uh, with quite a, a degree of justification that the Soviet Union could not be trusted. And he believed that only um, tough policies, tough anti-Soviet policies, would focus Stalin's thoughts. Um, they didn't have much of an effect on Truman by 1945, um, because, as said, Truman was uh, very much um, lost when it came to foreign policy decision-making. However, it's the, it is the cumulative effect of things like um, Averill Harriman's telegrams and George Ken's long telegram that uh, bit by bit uh, added to the resolve of Truman to stand up to the Soviet Union. And certainly, during the years 1947, 48, 49 and 50, the facts on the ground dramatically changed. The Soviet Union in 1949 detonated its first atomic bomb. China has gone communist. There have been uprisings in Greece, in Malaya, in the Philippines. There's a fear of a communist Italy and even a communist France. And so by this point, um, the facts on the ground have um, influenced Truman into seeing the world in the way that Harriman and Kennan saw it in 1944 and in 1945. Um, OK, well, I'm going to finish there. Uh, there's much more to say on this topic. Um, and um, we'll perhaps look at the, uh, the figures surrounding Truman uh, next time. But I hope you guys have had a great Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, do remember, if you can, to check out our Patreon. It's only through a tiny sliver of advertising revenue and the generous donations of others that we manage to keep going. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.